Hey, Luke, do you feel like our show sounds a bit different this week? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I feel like it sounds like a show that's been nominated for an award. <laughs> yeah, it has been nominated for an award. It's very exciting. Welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and talking to me is my co-host, Luke Bailey. Hi. And we have been nominated for a Lovey Award, which is like a Webby, but in Europe. Which is where you, which is where you used to live, Luke, before you Brexited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's good, uh, and it's it's also a publicly voted award, which means that, I mean, it's a problem because I think with all of these public vote awards, I'm sorry, we we just we're getting nominated for award, and I'm now going to point out why they're doing it wrong. But because of the way podcast audiences work, it's essentially just a vote of who has the biggest audience, and right, every right, public enough, thing enough. that is. Enough, enough. I'm not going to let you ruin this for us. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome to the Content Minds. This week we are talking about two elections, two upcoming elections. We initially said two, but I think there are more than that. Like we've probably. just had, <laughs> we've just had the Sweden election, which I think we should probably mention as well because I think that was probably engaged in the same thing. And we've got India coming up as well, which I don't think was on the original list. So, and the question we're asking about all of these is: Does Meta? have the ability to influence democracy the way it did four years ago. But before we get into that, hey, Luke, how was the internet this week? The internet this week was... <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a real week where uh, the, the British internet was very different to the rest of the internet. Uh, the internet was engaged in purely Queen-related stuff. It was the exact same as last week. And it was a 12-day period of dealing with Queen stuff. Uh, so the internet was exhausting, is all I'm going to say on that one. Do you feel like you've properly mourned the Queen by now? <sighs> Jesus. I mean, I, there is a problem. I, after you get to, uh, by the time you get to like day 10, day 11, like you're really struggling to say things about the Queen that haven't already really been said. We had the big Q. The Q is done now, which was odd. <laughs> I heard that briefly there were multiple queues or like a splinter queue where the line got well, so long there was that a, it... There was a queue to get into the queue, yes. Ah, uh, I see. I watched also like a very quintessentially uncomfortable British video of David Beckham and he was in line and there mm. was like a woman behind him who was interviewed about like what it was like to be behind David Beckham in line to see the Queen, which we is were, just... We were really running out of things to say. But yeah, it was incredibly funny because like... David Beckham stood in line. He was invited to skip the queue. Then he stood in line. But David Beckham has also been loudly... has Basically, there were some leaked emails a few years ago where he was really mad they didn't have a knighthood. So him standing in line for the Queen and being like a regular guy going to pay his respects by standing in line is like, sure, David, would you like a knighthood now? Right. Yeah. But yeah, it was just, it got very funny because also like, you know, it was like a 14 hour wait. And by the time he actually like hit the TV screen and he had like take his hat off and stuff because he was dressed like a character of Peaky Blinders because that's how he dresses now. He looked really disheveled and exhausted, and it, which was quite funny. 
There is like a very particular kind of like skin crawlingly uncomfortable form of British news where like they interview like like there's like two kinds of man on the street interviews in, in, in the UK. Like the funny ones where like people say stuff that's great. And then there's like the ones that make your skin crawl. And the the interviews with the people in line around David Beckham made me want to like wanted my bones to jump out of my body. Like it was deeply uncomfortable and strange because there's not much to say, which is like I've just been in line with this famous man for like 14 hours. Yeah, exactly. That's all there, that's all there is to say. And yeah, as a result, there's not. It's very dry and very uninteresting. Although it did lead to a really funny moment when two TV hosts didn't queue up but were near it's unclear exactly what happened but it, the implication was that they uh, skipped the queue and everyone's furious at them for like three days <laughs> that is really good I have two pieces of British content to discuss very briefly before we get into today's main topic first awesome. is is a tweet uh, and it's a picture of a Venn diagram and on the left side of the Venn diagram it says British people and it says beans and toast and on the right side of the Venn diagram, it says ants, and it says can lift up to 5,000 times their own weight. And in the <laughs> middle of the Venn diagram, it says weird loyalty to their queen, innate instinct to line up single file and drive in a queue, <laughs> takes things that aren't theirs back to their country, and they love crumbling pastries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I would contend that ants also like beans and toast. And I, I bet you, you know... <laughs> If if a British man had enough ale in the middle of the day, he could probably get close to lifting around five thousand <laughs> times his own his own weight. Like if a British football fan really wanted to, I bet he could do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I have one more piece of British content. Which, speaking of making your skin crawl, I need you to explain what's going on here. Uh, a piece of British old man rap has broken the containment unit and now is trending in America on Twitter. And it's like three or four old British men rapping. What is this? What is what is happening in this video? So talk us through it. Talk us through the video. So it's an artist called the those those Northern Boys. Those Northern Boys, correct? It, it, aesthetically and kind of character wise, it really reminds me of the uh, oh, could you remember that TikTok? Uh, the, the old gays in Florida. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that, and it also. It also reminds me of like those uh, those like posh old men that would do drill songs a while back. Oh yeah, uh, uh, chap hop. I think it was cool. Yeah, exactly. Chap rap would have made much more sense. But yeah, uh, but it looks like it's like three or four men in the north, uh, in the woods, rapping. Uh, and most of it's extremely vulgar. Uh, yeah, incredibly vulgar. But it kind of goes hard. Yeah, I'd like to know more about this because it is. What is this? So they have a music video, which is where all these clips appear to be from. And the two main guys appear to be named Norman and Patrick. What's very confusing, though, is that it was published. So, okay, so the, this is a weird piece of content here. So Patrick and Norm are two of the men, according to the bio of this TikTok account. And it links to a YouTube video, which it's called The Northern Boys Party Time. But... The video is hosted on an account called Sindhu World, which is just like a totally other guy's YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, it's had four videos on it, which is one is a guy making a cup of tea. It's, a, it's called Uncle Bao shows us how to make a cup of tea. And it's just like, 
It's it's exactly that actually. It's just a man making, making a, cup, a cup, of cup of tea. And then the next video, and so that video was posted five years ago. <laughs> then the next video is just these three guys from the north, two of which have names. I don't know what the third guy's name is. Uh, and they're rapping a, an extremely vulgar song called Party Time. Okay, I'm I'm really curious about this. I, I, I'm looking at this, and this feels like this is, these are not the artists, right? They, they are, well, I, like, oh, wait, one more point here is that this song is uh, assumedly a parody of American Boy by Estelle, I, I believe. Yes, yes. But I... I, I, <sighs> I feel like that's an important piece of context here. Every Okay, everything I look. So that... Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, just for, for listeners, Luke... His face is doing what my face did uh, last week when he told me about the dings in the supermarket being turned off for the queen. Uh, he did not know that I'd be showing him this video, and he has not seen this video before. So he is like, you're listening to him process this in real time. <laughs> okay, okay. I am, I am finding <laughs> out here. Okay, so there's a guy whose name is Sindhu. Uh, he owns Bathu Food and Wine. Uh, in London, which is in, let's find out, uh, South East London in, yeah, it's in Lewisham, basically. He has like a kind of a, he had like, in 2017, he had like a kind of funny Instagram account that everyone got a bit into. And it was like, he was just like a mind, mildly viral Instagram account. And he was doing like a little bit of inspirational stuff, a little bit of funny stuff. But just like, everyone was like, this guy seems cool. This then appears to have turned into a YouTube account which has, sorry, I'm trying to unpack this, this in a row, and it's quite tricky. This thing, Sintu World, is a, the guy who ran the, the, the off-license or the news agents or whatever it is, is then also now a, officially a content creator who is making kind of joke content, but has acquired like a more of a crew around it. He's, there's a Vice article here from, 2017, which says that uh, they have been selling bottles of basil juice, which is a, a homemade drink with no listed ingredients. So trading standards so to spend the shop entirely. He, as a result, then made <laughs> a video in order to a, a music video for a song called "Sun Shines on You," uh, which is where this initially started from. He's got like like low-key famous on Instagram, but then kind of stopped using Instagram like two years ago and now appears to have reappeared with a parody rap song. I think this makes actually a lot of sense. I think... No, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely I think this no makes, sense. <laughs> I think this makes complete sense, which is that a, a Instagram account went viral doing like funny posts about like the 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 London equivalent of you know like a, a like bodega memes. It's like an it's like off license memes, and it's about like a particular corner store in southeast London or whatever. And yeah. then that gets big enough that it creates like a you know like a small content company, and then this small content company has somehow teamed up with three men from the north who have now put out a rap song. I feel like all of that makes total sense based on everything we talk about on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's the entire thing is improbable. I think, I think what he may have done, what I think has happened here, and I'm making a lot of guesses, is that they were... A guy who worked at a shop got a, yeah, got a viral Instagram account, has then kind of stopped using it, like got bored or whatever, or kind of like, okay, we're done with this now. 
but has since been like, actually, I have an idea. I want to try this rap song. And it's produced a rap song, but has attached it to a, a, a kind of an old channel that he had and also then brought these people. I think they're fronting his parody rap song as, as, as also parodies. This is, this is not, I'm sorry, this is not very illuminating. I think we solved it. I think we've got it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, all my questions have been answered. And I, I, you know what? I hope the Northern boys do well. They're, they're doing, I mean, they are doing quite well. Their, their video has 116,000 views on YouTube and their TikTok account is popping off. So, you know, good for them. Do you want to make love to a sad old man? Hold on, I found a, a Facebook video from 2017, which is kind of, it suggests that, yeah, it is the same artist behind it. Hold on. And this is Uncle Bal, as you can see. And if you listen to it, it's clearly the same artist. Um, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like these these guys understand what I want out of content. And I think, uh, I, I think they're now sharing that with the world, which is really exciting. Yeah. Speaking of content spreading all over the world... I think it's time that we talk about our favorite company on the internet, Meta. <laughs> it's a great company. So for those listening, if you, if you need a quick catch up on the last uh, decade, basically around 2014, uh, more and more journalists, researchers around the world started uh, ringing the alarm bell that Facebook's products, particularly at the time Facebook, then eventually WhatsApp, then eventually Instagram, were having an impact on the way democracy functioned. Uh, I was one of those journalists. I spent four years traveling to like, I don't know, 20 ele different elections, wrote all kinds of crazy pieces about it. And something that's been on my mind now, this year, as we go into the 2022 U.S. midterms, but also we have the presidential election in Brazil, which is going to have a uh, human biohazard jar Bolsonaro <laughs> up against uh, Lula. He has a much longer full name, but everyone calls him Lula. Uh, and he's kind of like if Bernie Sanders went to jail for corruption, which wasn't really totally fair for him uh, to go to jail for. So, But he's also kind of like the Clintons in a way where he's not exactly as left as he used to be. Anyways, it's not like a totally great comparison. And the question I have during both of these elections, and as Luke pointed out earlier in the episode, the other elections happening around the world this year, does Meta still have an effect on the way democracy functions? So... To kick things off, Luke, like, how would you sort of describe the current landscape of Meta's products, like, compared to where they were, let's say, in 2018? All right. So, of the kind of big three Meta products, which is the big blue app, is Facebook, it's WhatsApp, and it's Instagram. Those are kind of the big three. And then there's some extra bits and pieces of, of kind of the Metaverse, which no one uses. Of those. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I bought an Oculus, and I got really sick, and I never used it again. Thank you very much. Yeah, so of those, Facebook is getting increasingly weird and non-useful, I think. Like, it is still being used, but we've, we've been through this many times that every time you scratch the surface on Facebook, you discover that 
the way that people are using it is just is madness. And it basically is now a kind of local grievance discussion board and magician videos and people who are accidentally the most viral people in the world and may not even realize it. So Facebook is just kind of like a, a wild west and I think is, is, is in a much less manageable state uh, and also a much less useful state than it was in 2018. Instagram, I think, has not moved a huge amount, though it's had its lunch eaten by TikTok. Like, I think they're all struggling with the kind of... Uh, they're struggling with the amount of attention that TikTok gets, uh, specifically, you know, user attention, which is, is drifting away. Uh, and then WhatsApp, which is probably the one that has not... I think is just bigger and stronger than it probably ever has been, just because adoption of it outside the US is so huge and so, I mean, almost complete in a lot of places. And Brazil being a really good example of a place where it is essentially complete. So yeah, you end up with kind of really the things to look at is probably WhatsApp. WhatsApp is interesting. I, I did research on this recently for, uh, I was working on a piece about Snapchat for the information and I had to kind of like dig through WhatsApp because in a weird way, Snapchat in America has evolved into this kind of like American version of WhatsApp. It's like kind of like the closest thing we have to a cross uh, device messaging app that's used in a similar way to WhatsApp. And what I found fascinating was I came across a Bloomberg article that um, described it described WhatsApp as an earnings void. <laughs> uh, and I didn't realize this, but apparently WhatsApp is not profitable for Meta in any way. And this is as recently as July of 2022. So uh, Facebook, th this is true. Facebook bought WhatsApp for $19 billion. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm I know I'm supposed to like take this seriously, but like that's absolutely outrageous. Uh and it has uh 2 billion people who use it. Here's the chunk of the Bloomberg article that's interesting. The contrast couldn't be more stark. Zuckerberg bought Instagram for $1 billion in 2012, and the app contributed $20 billion to Facebook revenue in 2019 alone. He bought WhatsApp for $19 billion in 2014, and it has contributed pennies by comparison. And then that links to a Fortune article, which I'm trying to find like an actual amount. Yeah, it doesn't say. Okay. So basically it's it's not making a lot of money for the company. And what's even funnier is that like other messaging apps are making a lot of money. And Bloomberg points to WeChat, the Chinese messaging app that sort of evolved into a digital passport for being alive. And that has generated $500 million in just June of this year. <laughs> Wow. Meanwhile, WhatsApp has not made any money. Wait, for hang on. So, what is what is we WeChat's income uh, like stream? What is their model? So, WeChat has a lot of different services that are integrated into it. For instance, you can use it to hail a rideshare taxi. You can use it's a it's got a wallet feature. It has all kinds of micro payments inside of it. I've used it before. It's actually very cool. Uh, it's uh, a horrifying example of a uh, surveillance panopticon, but it is super cool and it works pretty well. Oh, I see. So it's also a payment app, right? Okay, yes, so that's where the money comes yes. from. Yes, and the and the problem with WhatsApp in particular is that it's encrypted, which means like you can't turn it into WeChat, which is very yeah. funny. So that's that's WhatsApp. Meanwhile, Reels uh, is the new thing for Instagram, and it has not done well. Uh, for Instagram, so I've got a couple. I've got a couple pieces of information here for that. So the Wall Street Journal uh, leaked a report from Instagram where they stated that Instagram Reels have quote no engagement whatsoever. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the information got a hold of a memo from Adam Musari, the head of Instagram, where he wrote that um, 
Instagram reels lags behind TikTok and YouTube on all the dimensions that are most important to creator satisfaction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry, I know. sorry. It's just it's just really crazy. And then um, and then as far as Facebook, uh, we didn't do an episode about it this time around. But the widely viewed content report came out, and the number one most widely viewed link in quarter two of 2022 was tiktok.com. So that shows you how healthy yep. Facebook is. <laughs> and the most uh, widely viewed post is a video clip uh, from the game show Family Feud. So that should tell you how healthy that platform is. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Uh, yeah, that platform is... is, yeah. is it's really dead. It's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean... The Instagram problem is the same that the Instagram problem has always been, is that it is unwilling to be good at one thing, and it always wants to be good at the next thing. Uh, and rather than being like... Same. The, the, yeah, same. But rather than being the place where it's like, oh, actually, this is where I hang out with my friends and speak to them, and that's what I like about Instagram. It's constantly trying to do the next thing and be like, well, we should do a TikTok thing, we should do a, uh, a Snapchat thing. And it's not great at any of them, but it has just enough kind of scale to kind of hold on. So, yeah, that's not that surprising. That's not working. So the question is like, can these platforms still have the same chaotic effect that they had on elections a couple years ago? And I think what's interesting is, you know, the best example we have for could Facebook have an effect on the U.S. midterms is probably the Freedom Convoy. Do you remember this? Yep. And for our listeners, how would you de- how would you describe the kind of ending to that story? <laughs> I mean. The thing is, is now you're asking me about it. I'm like, I don't really 100% remember how it did end. It, it just sort of... Did it just sort of... <laughs> it just drift, sort of fizzled. Drift off as people yeah. got bored with it. And then everyone was like, well, I got to go home now. I was in Washington, D.C. around like March or April. And there was a freedom convoy in the city just going around in a loop around one of the parks. And it was probably, I want to say, 10 cars deep. Like it wasn't very big. And they were all just like queuing on people who were driving around in a circle until they ran out of gas. Yeah. Um, but I did not get the impression that the Freedom Convoy, uh, in the U.S. at least, could do much. They did seem to cause a bit of a ruckus in Canada for a while. Yeah, but I think what ultimately happened, kind of skimming through it now, is that it got less and less impactful because the COVID, like the COVID numbers, seemed to be a part of the driving thing. And it was like everyone, it was going through that period where you know everyone's got to get vaccinated, and the COVID numbers still high. And then the kind of everyone got vaccinated, and then they were like less bothered about making everyone get vaccinated. And so that kind of like there was nothing to push against. So as a result, it sort of diminished a bit. And it, you know, it was very recent, but it does, it does to me feel like there is less and less real people spending a considerable amount of time on Facebook in particular. Like I don't even from like friends, family, people I know, like back home in like Massachusetts. Like I don't get the sense that it's the the beating heart of a local community the way it was last year at this time even, which may be COVID related. Be <laughs> yeah, I mean, entirely possible. Yeah, I think I would probably agree with that. Uh, it doesn't seem like it has that, yeah, it doesn't seem like it has that core of, of passion, is that the right way to put it? It doesn't seem like it has that, that core of that passion still. Yeah, and what's also very interesting is that I think the the emphasis on local, like localized content, at least in the in the widely viewed content report that I'm staring at at the moment, it doesn't appear to be as prominent as it has in the past either. Like I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing the random small pages that are blowing up. I'm not seeing 
like the like the weird old people stuff even i'm just seeing like the dodo lad bible the other 98% uh some random influencers the daily mail stuff like yeah, that yeah. like i'm a viral hog i i don't see i don't feel like a like the sense that it's a place where uh, an entire town is spending time in a Facebook group anymore. I could be wrong, but I, I, I don't get that impression as much. Yeah, as there's I used still to. some some odd bits, but it's it's it doesn't have the same. I mean, I know I don't know. It's still stuff there. There's still some odd things that don't don't really exist. But I think that people are now no longer using it as like a primary source of of news. And the reason for that, I think, is that because of there were so many influencers who were big on Facebook who subsequently were forced off onto other platforms, the biggest one being Trump, that a bunch of people went and it kind of made those groups slightly more disparate. And at the same time, Facebook was trying to work its algorithms to stop content like that proliferating. So as a result, it doesn't have the same kind of energy and, and hub that it had. And I think you now have probably a smaller, more dedicated group on Truth Social or whatever. That's very possible. And I think that there's probably an effect that's happening where the stuff that's happening on Truth Social is being shared, you know, as screenshots or in in, in messaging apps to elsewhere. But I think it does. I think it's I think breaking up the centralization does a lot. I, I, uh, I don't get the sense that there's like a critical mass happening on Facebook as much as there, there was even a year ago. No, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. It, do, it doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a single place with a huge amount of energy that is about to break out and do something. And, and I think looking at the Brazilian election is a really good way of realizing how different things are even compared to 2018. So do you know, do you kind of know the defining moment of, of the 2018 Brazilian election, like when Jar Bolsonaro probably like won. Do you, do you know about this? Uh, was it one of the times he was shot? <laughs> he was stabbed. stabbed and, sorry. Yeah. The, the, he's had COVID like a dozen times, but he was stabbed uh, while he was campaigning. And uh, most people believe it was an, an inside job and that he paid the guy to stab him. But anyways, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm, not, I'm just <laughs> saying that's what I hear. Anyways, during that election cycle, there was going to be a big televised debate. And instead of appearing in the televised debate, he claimed that because he, he, he was stabbed and because he, he didn't feel good, he wouldn't participate in the debate and instead went live on Facebook, mm. which feels so dated four years later that it's actually, it's actually been blowing my mind all week to think about it. Yeah, he should be live on TikTok now. Exactly. Or even Instagram. But the idea of, the, of a presidential candidate disrupting the, the, the foundation of a, of a country's you know, democratic election by streaming himself from a, his hospital room on Facebook Live just feels like a different era. It doesn't feel like it could happen now the same way. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. And I also think that it was a very odd moment in in kind of like history, but it also was very odd because it was very hard to cover and people didn't really understand what was happening. So it felt crazy. And now it would feel odd, not crazy. It wouldn't feel like that thing that is happening that you have to talk about. It would be like someone's streaming themselves on Facebook. And it's like, sure, I mean, that's what people do. Like, it's a bit weird, but fine, whatever. Like it wouldn't be viewed materially different to a a campaign video, I think, which I think is, is also a big change. Like it, it doesn't have that... The same thing, the same way that, that Trump did, where all he had to do was just tweet something, and everyone was like, "This is crazy. We have to talk about the tweet." When in reality, he's doing all this stuff on Truth Social all the time, and it's kind of like, "Oh, like, all right, I'm not that bothered by it," because it now feels less weird. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But what's also really strange is like if Marjorie Taylor Greene right now went live on Facebook, I would be like, that's really weird that you're on Facebook. Yeah. That's how far we're, we're removed from that moment where I'm like, if, if, you know, if Dr. Oz campaigning against John Fetterman, like went live on Facebook, I would think that was, wait, does he, hold on. He's like a big Facebook demographic guy. Does he go live on Facebook? See, I don't even know. That's the other crazy thing. Is like I haven't even thought about this. I mean, he has a good social team, so I would imagine not. He has a good social team in the sense that the production values are good. I don't think he has a good social team in the sense that he under, like they understand how to use social media. Uh, no, he's posting. Ah, he's posting TikTok length videos on his Facebook page. That's so funny. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So the other piece of this, I think, for, that the Brazilian election kind of points a, a very interesting spotlight on, is. Do you know about Movimento Brazil Livre? Uh, this is the is this the YouTubers? Sort of, yeah, yeah. It's the YouTubers. So for for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, during kind of like Brazil's version of Occupy Wall Street, uh, about a decade ago, there was this uh, internet guy, this like nerdy internet guy who kind of rose to the, the the top of the heap, named Kim Katagiri, and he was like a right wing reactionary. I would compare him to like Brazil's Tim Pool in the in the he kind of did a similar political journey, if that makes sense. Right. And he put together a a very proto idea of a hype house called Movimento Brazil Livre, which is like uh, the the Brazil free movement or whatever, free Brazil movement. And they are all right wing, you know, jerk offs, and they use YouTube to build up audiences. Uh, one of their candidates was named Mama Falal, which means Mama told me. And his big thing was, you know, those guys who go to left wing protests and harass anti-fascists until the anti-fascists attack them and then they film it and they're like, look, sure. the left is really dangerous. He does that. Right. Okay. So Kim Kataguri, Mama Falal, all these guys, they got congressional seats in 2018. Uh, and the way they did it was they would create memes and put them on Instagram with the idea that people would then screenshot them and share them on WhatsApp. Okay. I mean, sure. <laughs> right. So like they were using Instagram as a way to coordinate memes to be deployed on dark social. I mean, it, they made it – when I, I spoke with them at the time, they made it sound like very sophisticated, but like they were just making memes and hoping people would share them on WhatsApp. Anyways – all of them won. They all got congressional seats. Mama Falal continued to harass people on camera at protests as a congressman, which is absolutely mental. Yeah. But recently, I, I just learned about this, which is very cool. One of the uh, MBL guys was doing that thing, was harassing journalists on camera. And an old Brazilian journalist grabbed his phone and was like, fuck you, you stupid motherfucker, and threw it into the street. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah, very good. Absolutely great. Like this like 60-year-old journalist just picked up the phone and threw it on the street. And I think that there's a a huge shift here because uh MBL who understood very early that they could use Instagram as as a as sort of a, a central artery for millennials and and be able to seed content on Instagram to WhatsApp. That chain is kind of broken because Facebook is trying to transform into TikTok and these guys aren't savvy enough to learn how to transform into TikTok. But also I just think the kind of the, the the things that made it work on Facebook were that it made people very emotional very fast. And that was the thing. That's the secret to getting people like sharing. You're looking for people to share a headline and be angry about it without reading it. And I think with TikTok content, you kind of can't consume video without watching the whole thing. So I think that it is kind of tying you into consuming it because you don't you know you can't like read it and be like oh I understand what this is you can't just have a have a random headline you have to have, have the whole thing and I think that that is kind of slowing down people's engagement with that content and I think 
like as a result, it's just not as easy to it's not as easy to have a pre-programmed reaction to it. That's interesting. And I feel like we should that that's a perfect way to move to the next section, which is I think we should talk about the difference between the meta experience and the TikTok experience, because I think that's kind of what we're poking at here. Yeah. So Luke, like how would you define the way Meta's algorithms make you feel? I mean, it's tricky because it's hard to it's hard to look at it and be like, I understand this algorithm because the Facebook algorithm doesn't make me feel anything because it is such just a mess. Yes, I agree. Well, the, the Instagram algorithm, I'm not a huge Instagram user, but it was also like, I have a relatively well-curated Instagram. So it's not, I, I don't, the algorithm to me is just like, here are the things that people most like. So the, 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 the Instagram algorithm, I actually don't hate, even, even if, if it's the outside of the um, chronological timeline. But the TikTok algorithm, I loathe. Do you? Because the TikTok, yeah, the TikTok algorithm, I can feel working, if that makes sense. It, it, yes. it feels like a very active algorithm in a way that the, the Facebook algorithm and the Instagram algorithm aren't. Because the Facebook algorithm just doesn't work. And the Instagram algorithm, like, I understand what signals you're seeing here. It's relatively straightforward. I think that's totally right. So based on what w- the research we've done over the years on, on all of these different platforms, as I understand it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, and, and also I've learned this from Facebook employees yelling at me about the experience that we've performed <laughs> in this exact scenario. Uh, Facebook is looking at who your friends are, what pages you're following, what groups you're in. It is then recommending content based on that social graph and also recommending you advertising based on the personal data that's listed on your profile and the profiles of your friends and family. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. So uh, if you open Facebook, it's it's trying to pinpoint what you want based on everyone that you, you're interacting with. And that's why Facebook got so mad at me uh, when I tried to start a brand new Facebook from scratch and not friend anybody and just follow <laughs> right-wing pages a couple years ago. Yeah. Instagram seems to be doing a similar thing with your with your followers and the and the pages that you're following but there's less of a uh, of a of a net of like a it's not like you're you're friending each other because you're you're you can follow people without them following you back so there seems to be more of kind of input outputs there there's also more emphasis on hashtags as I understand it on Instagram because Instagram is has more hashtag features yeah there's no groups on Instagram and the advertising algorithm seems to be much more sophisticated. Uh, I, I get advertising that's like very Marco targeted. It's all music stuff. Like it's all synthesizers for me right now. Right, but what right. are your ads like on Instagram? Is it craft beer and like stuff for your long hair? Is it like men? No, comb- no, they're, they're really combs. No, because I don't really post, so I, I, <laughs> I don't think it knows what I do. But uh, usually, I get uh, an ad for a really useful bag. Like it's a backpack that's like very. It's apparently the best oh. backpack. I get a lot of those ads. Okay, yeah, I do. I do think that it, if it if it starts to understand that you're a thirty something man, it will just start advertising you like very nice backpacks. <laughs> I mean, I, I always look at it. I'm like, that does look like a nice. It looks very. Yeah. It seems like it's got a lot of compartments in it. Yeah. So yeah, it's all, all stuff you want. Totally unrelated, but YouTube has has figured out that I really want to watch videos of like men organizing their desks in different ways. <laughs> like not building desks, good. but just like organizing them with like mechanical keyboards and such. Anyways, so TikTok setup is totally different. 
And I think the easiest way to think about it is that a, a single TikTok video contains like nine or 10 different inputs and outputs for their algorithm. You've got the trending audio, which is operating separately from the video, the filters, which are operating differently from the video as well, the caption, the hashtags, the people you're following, the people you're following who are following people, the people who are following you. And then also just like any video that you interact with or not interact with on the For You page seems to trigger stuff inside the For You page. That's what you're talking about, right? When you can say it's, yeah. you feel it moving. So TikTok is way more of a uh, of a living entity, I think, than the meta experience. But I find that TikTok does not make me unhappy the way that Instagram makes me deeply unhappy. No, I, I, TikTok to me feels very much like uh, you know, it feels like it feels like Weatherspoon's food, where you're eating food and there's just <laughs> nothing to it, and you're it's like the British version of Applebee's for people who yeah, are new like, to the show. Technically, I have spent 15 minutes consuming content, and I don't remember any of it, nor do I, nor did I enjoy it. Yeah, that makes sense. I get a kind of a headache from Instagram, I think, because it's not quite just people I know in real life, and it's not quite memes. And I'm someone who really prefers to set like to segment my life into like my online and my offline life, and I don't like them blending. And maybe that's what bothers me about Instagram so much, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that could be. All of this will have an effect on on upcoming elections. So, like, how do you think as we switch from the Meta algorithm to the TikTok algorithm? What do you think that will do to democracy? <laughs> well, I'm a big kind of believer in like you only really understand something like a few years later, when you've been able to look at it with a bit of distance. And something that I think is really interesting and under-recognized is that there are an awful lot of big political realignments going on right now in a lot of surprising countries. The most obvious one being um, Sweden, where, if you don't know, basically the Sweden Democrats, who are a party that formerly had neo-Nazi links and have cleaned themselves up from those quite a lot, though many would say not enough, became the second largest party in the Swedish government and large enough to go into coalition with a, a more moderate right-wing party and basically enter government. That seems like likely what's going to happen. I don't think they've quite sorted it out yet. Um, but that's happened post-Facebook, post when they sorted all the things out. And theoretically, it's the sort of thing that shouldn't happen because we blamed a lot of social platforms for things that happened in the kind of 2016 era, the Brexit, the Trump, all this sort of stuff. Stuff like that. Stuff like France, actually. Le Pen doing similarly well as she didn't she's done before and it kind of like being a mainstream opposition party vox in spain uh and a few other ones where it feels like theoretically this wave should have broken and rolled back and it hasn't broken and rolled back and you can kind of say okay that's because the facebook era introduced those parties into the political mainstream and and people kind of kept coming back to them or you can say okay that's because ultimately the underlying causes were the thing that was doing it and Facebook was just a symptom. And I do think that's potentially a really interesting way to look at it. Rather than it being a, you know, a cause and a an accelerant, uh, it is the uh the viewport onto which we looked onto this stuff. So if you think about that, then what we're looking at with TikTok is potentially we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see this stuff happening. But because of how kind of filter bubbly TikTok is, like it's very hard to get into a bit of TikTok that you're not already in. Uh it ha- I think it has the potential to kind of like happen and we will not pick up things that are actually happening on the ground for it in a way that we could with Facebook. So to give Meta some credit, what you're saying there is actually quite similar to what they have maintained throughout the last decade, Yeah, which is that their products are not inventing these things out of thin air, but uh, surfacing them 
and uh, that they are sort of on the other end of it. One interesting thing that you brought up at the beginning of the show, the Indian election. So India still does not have TikTok. Really? It banned TikTok, I think, in 2018 or 2019, and they still don't have it. So, for instance, like if you read Garbage Day, I always try to include a mirror to the TikTok video I'm talking about found somewhere else for Indian readers or readers I have in Hong Kong who don't or can't use TikTok. So any election in India uh, in the next year or so could be very interesting to to look at because it, it it is literally a place that cannot have TikTok which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, India, again, this kind of leans to it. So the Indian, the Indian election that happened this year, actually happened in July, um, was the Indian presidential election. And the party that won it, again, it's the presidential election, so it's slightly different than the prime ministerial election, who has a bit more power. But it's the same party, it's the BJP. It's Modi's party. And right. they won on a basically not much movement from five years ago. For, for those listening, the BJP is the Hindu nationalist party that is currently in power. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, in I, I'm just looking at the numbers now. Yeah, in 2017, they got 65% of the vote. In 2022, they got 64% of the vote. So, you know, 2017 is the peak of this Facebook era. And essentially nothing's changed five years later. Yeah. And Modi's interesting because I always sort of counted him as the first Facebook president. He was for a while the most followed person on Facebook, which is pretty crazy. And he was sort of, he was elected just too early for people to start critically talking about what Facebook was doing to elections. So no one ever really talked about it. But yeah, he was up there with like Duterte in the Philippines. Duterte, yeah. Yeah. In, in the Philippines, yeah. So that, that'll be interesting to watch uh, going forward because you, I mean, you might be right, and there also just might be like a larger truth here, and it's one that I've really struggled with over the last couple of years when I write about this stuff, which is I've, I, I do think that there are pieces of this that are, are an accelerant. I do think there are pieces of extremism, of, of right-wing populism that seem to be boosted by certain algorithmic incentives. I, I do think that. But I do wonder how much of the thing that we're talking about right now is – actually just a, a pure symptom of the networking effect of the internet itself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting. And, and I think that the potential for kind of big swings, it's arguably slightly gone. Like, I would need to, you know, pull through uh, a lot of data to get there. But it doesn't feel like any government really has had like enormous epochal shifts where suddenly it goes from, you know, uh, an, an, an invisible party goes up a lot. Like, support among like for Sweden Democrats did go up, but it didn't go up that much because it was already doing okay. And they've been gaining in power for like the last 12, 12 or 20 years or so. I suppose the most reasonable way to sum up kind of the thing that we're struggling with is the idea that the internet doesn't, I, I, I do believe this, and I think I've said this on the show before, I don't think the internet creates anything new. I don't actually think that any problem on the internet that we currently can see is new, but I think that the ability to see it and observe it, which the internet gives us, thus changes it. You know, like the the, the fact that we can uh, we can see angry young men networking together, and they can see it means that they can evolve and they can name themselves incels and play in spree shootings. You know, it's like the right. the the right wing people in your small town have probably always been right wing. But the fact that they can hang out together in a, in a chat room and start to share things back and forth and it, it can spread and, and become more extreme. I think that is something that is is happening. But I, I do wonder if in a world without Facebook or in a world where TikTok replaces Facebook, like it, it might not 
be the, a Facebook problem. It might not be a meta problem. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I think there's definitely instances where on a very individual level, it can take people into like very strange places. But there's also a reasonable argument that that on a slightly wider group level, a lot of those dynamics already exist. I think that's right. And I, I, I think the, the last thing to touch on here, which will also be interesting to watch, is... Uh, do you remember like, okay. Do you remember like 10 years ago when, uh, you could link to like different parts of, of social media really easily, like on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, like they're not like you yeah, could sure. share yeah, an yeah. Instagram link on Twitter and you could see the photo in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like very easy to link to all these different websites. Vine, you could share Vine on every platform. Yeah. Yeah. And then you couldn't anymore. They kind of locked down. And there was this idea of a platform as a walled garden, like this, this, uh, Facebook is an island of Facebook. Obviously that's not really true anymore by, by the fact that the top link on the widely viewed content report for the last quarter was tick.com. <laughs> yeah. But also what's really interesting is that entire trend is changing because TikTok is now making it easier and easier to search their own website. It's full of misinformation because it's all just like insane teenagers spreading crazy bullshit about like how to like get a cool hack on the McDonald's menu or something or like how to uh, use a crystal to teleport to Hogwarts. There was one going around the other day where all the kids were convinced that one of the bodyguards or the, one of the defense security guys for, for King Charles was had a fake arm because like he was holding his <laughs> arm slightly weird. And it's just like, it's just he's just a British man. He stands weird. He's very awkward. <laughs> like Yeah. No, you all stand a bit strange. You all kind of stand like yeah. the bug guy from Men in Black. But the fact that TikTok is becoming less locked down, even though it's still deeply personalized, will be really interesting to watch because it won't it will have like a much more targeted effect than what we've seen with Facebook rabbit holes. In theory, by like this time next year, it should be much more searchable. It should be like as searchable as Twitter. So like that to me is the most interesting thing about this exact moment is that the, the U.S. 2022 midterms might be the last meta election. Entirely possible. It might be the first TikTok election. If not, we've already had one maybe. Although I don't really see any of these candidates currently big on t TikTok. I haven't seen like a, a TikTok candidate the way we had Trump with Twitter. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I think it's tricky because, you know, the power of Facebook and Twitter is that you build a platform and as your platform gets bigger, it becomes easier to go big. Uh, the problem with TikTok is it doesn't really do that. Like if you put it out there and no one watches your video, it doesn't go anywhere. So it's kind of like each content lives and dies on its own. Like there's not actually as much advantage to having a million followers, followers as opposed to 100,000 followers as there is or was on Facebook or is on Twitter. Right, yeah. It's a totally new, different set of rules that are also kind of similar, but also very different, which is strange. When is, when is the Brazilian election? The Brazilian election is in October, so it's in a couple weeks. Um, we're yeah. very close to... It's a two-round election. Most people I've spoken to believe that Bolsonaro will not lose the first round. Lula will not win the first round. <laughs> I've heard a theory that a lot of people who regret voting for Bolsonaro will not vote for Lula or anyone in the first, they won't vote for Lula in the first round. But if he gets the second round, they'll vote for him. I've heard that. That's interesting. So there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, well, because he, only, he, he doesn't even need a majority in the second round. So that, yeah, that's fine. But either way, as you know, as someone who's spent a lot of time in the country over the last two, two years, like I don't get the same viral frenzy sense that I did 
in 2018. Like, I don't get the sense that there's just like crazy viral trending, like misinformation stories all the time. I, I don't, it, it feels like a different era for that. It could be all happening. The other thing is like TikTok is not very big in Brazil. Yeah. Yet. Uh, Reels is still much bigger. So we'll see. But I, I think no matter what, in the next couple of weeks, we should have uh, a bit of an answer about a couple things that we've brought up in this episode, which is, will we have the same problems, but on a new app? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Yeah, a lot of queen-based content. Uh, no, I mean, we got, we got to talk about House of the Dragon, right? Yeah, we can talk about House of the Dragon. I also would like to briefly talk about uh, Netflix's show Cyberpunk 2077 Edge Runners. Cyber, Cyberpunk Edge Runners? Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Based yeah, Cyberpunk on the, 2077 is the game. It's based on the game, but it's not... It's 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 an anime based on the game that Netflix put okay. out. Because apparently Cyberpunk 2077 is good now. Yeah, well, the show was fantastic. So I'm, 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 I've got, I've got a few thoughts about it. I want to share. Uh, if you guys listening would like to support the show, as always, you can go to thecontentminds.com and subscribe for bonus content, or you can hit the link that I'll be including in this week's show notes. That will take you to the voting page for the Lovey Awards, and you can vote for us for an award which would be super cool. Luke and I have only worn suits together once, which was at his wedding. And it would be super fun to wear suits <laughs> together a second time at an award show. So if you guys want to do that, uh, just go to the show notes. And I think these will load properly on all of your podcast apps of choice and just click the link and I'll have it there for you. Yeah, And we're also, we're also up, we're up, we're up against BBC podcasts. So, you know, we, we, we need to prove that the mainstream media is bad. That's right. If you want to support the creator economy and you want to support uh, independent media, which I guess we count as, then you can vote for us. Yeah, over... against, the, against the state propaganda of the BBC. I don't want to dunk on that show without knowing what it's about. What is it? So it's a, it's a history show, I think. Honestly, it seems like it might be quite good. I'm I'm tempted to listen to it. Oh man, that's such a good idea! It's such a good idea for a show. It's called Lady Killers. And it's, uh, it investigates the crimes of Victorian women from a contemporary feminist perspective. That's such a better pitch than our show. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, look, I don't feel comfortable totally telling you not to vote for that one, but like, you know. Okay, maybe for content you've consumed next week, you should both listen to this podcast and review this podcast. I don't want to do that. That sounds, that sounds even weirder. <laughs> no, I want to just pretend like I don't know what that show's about. I want to I want to be in complete ignorance of what that show's about because it does sound really good, but I would love to win an yeah. award. So I'm very conflicted. But uh, so yeah, you can do that. Look for that in the show notes this week. Thank you guys very much. Thank you to Seven Morris for editing this week's episode and providing the lovely soundscapes that are hitting your ear holes. And uh, go to your podcast app of choice and leave a comment as if you are the moderator of a small town Facebook group that is spinning out of control and you're trying to calm everybody down. So take that writing prompt however you'd like. Uh, and uh, for those of you who subscribe to bonus content, we will see you over on the bonus episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.